You are listening to the weekly podcast of City Church Orlando, located just off of 1792 at 650 Airport Boulevard in Sanford, Florida. Our website, OrlandoCityChurch.com. Today, Lead Pastor Eugene Smith will be discussing on how, as a Christian, we can refuel our spiritual tank. Our scripture text comes from Psalms chapter 85, starting in verse 1. Today's message is entitled, Running on Empty. For the director of music of the sons of Korah, a song. You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. Selah. A couple weeks ago here, we talked about the Selah in the psalm. We read Psalms 32. There were three Selahs. We paused and we stopped. This is a pause in and rabbinical teaching and the way that uh, a Jewish service would go in the synagogue, they would take a pause right here. And then the musicians would continue to play. There wouldn't be any singing, but the musicians would continue to play as the people meditated and thought about what was just being said. You set aside all your wrath and you turn from your fierce anger. Restore us again, O God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that in these next few minutes, I pray that what you've begun through our worship and through our praise, God, I pray through the declaration of your word that you will do something in our hearts and lives today. God, I pray for those who are spiritually running on empty today. God, I pray that when they leave this place, they'll be filled with the presence and the sense that you are an awesome God. Lord, I bless today. I pray for every hear. Give them spiritual ears to hear. And Father, I thank you today for what you did for me 2,000 years ago when you sent your only son, Jesus, to die just for me. Thank you for that grace that's available And I thank you, Jesus. Now, you've ascended into heaven, and there you are making intercession. You're praying for me, God, but you're also praying for your people that are here. And I thank you that you haven't left us alone, that your spirit is here. Your Holy Spirit is here living and dwelling in us, drawing us back to the Father so that we may be true worshipers of him. Bless your people today. Give them ears to hear. I ask this now in your wonderful name. Amen. Running on empty. This last week, I went to California, and um, the City Church family, we're part of a bigger family. We have city churches that we're connected with from around the country, and a couple times a year, the pastors of these churches, we meet together at different locations, and we talk and fellowship and talk about ministry and share and pray for one another, and, and our pastor, Pastor Wendell Smith, passed away, many of you know, he passed away in December, and, and so this week, we discussed the future of our network. And uh, in our meetings, uh, we had a lot of discussion, great food, great time, great fellowship. We had some fun. They're very intense meetings. And we got to Friday, and Friday I was really exhausted. I was really ready to leave. I flew from here to Phoenix, Arizona. I picked up a friend of mine, Mark Carpenter, who is starting a church in Phoenix called the Hope Church. And I picked up Mark, and we drove to Palm Desert get to Palm Desert, we have our meetings, and on Friday, I'm just ready to go. You know what I mean? Like, I've been in meetings Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like ready, you're done. I said, everything that needed to be said has already been said. 
That's kind of what my feeling. I was ready to leave. And so as soon as the meeting was over, we got the car, jumped in the vehicle. I looked at the gas gauge, and it was like less than half a tank. Palm Desert to Phoenix is maybe it's like a four-hour drive. And I figured there was probably like a little less than half. I could get halfway there. I could get to the Arizona-California border. And uh, so I jump in the car. We take off. I get about a half an hour down the road, and the guy that I'm with, he forgot his golf clubs. So I'm like, dude, man, just call him and have him ship them. He goes, no, I got to get them. So I turn back around. I go pick up his golf clubs, and uh, we take off back down the road, and I'm not really paying attention, paying attention to the gas gauge. Now, everybody knows what this is right here, right? What's this? This is a gas can, and it's only good if it has what? It's only useful if it has fuel in it. Now, guess what? I didn't have one of these, and uh, the, the, the area, this area of the country that this is in is at the very bottom of what they call Death Valley. How many of you have never heard of Death Valley before? Anybody never heard of Death Valley? Okay. How many of you have heard of Death Valley? Okay. Death Valley is the hottest place in the continental United States of America. And this area, it's kind of high desert, it's mountainy. And there ain't nothing there. I mean, there's literally, there's nothing there. You can drive and drive and drive, and then you'll hit a little town, and uh, there'll be a town there, and then you'll drive another 40, 50, 60 miles. I mean, literally nothing. It's just sagebrush and, and a few cactus, and that's what it is. And so I'm driving down the road, and I get to the Arizona-California border. It's called Blythe, California. And my whole life, I've always considered Blythe, California to be the armpit of America because it's just, like, hot all the time. It's hot, it's smelly, it's just like, I don't know why you live there, but there are people that actually live there, and I said, oh, I can make it through Blythe, and so I kept going, and I got a little ways down the road, and I realized that uh, I was running out of gas, and there's like no gas stations, there is absolutely no gas stations anywhere close by, and so I get my phone out, and I click on Yelp, and I push the gas button to see where the closest gas station is. Now, by this time... I'm looking at the gas gauge, and it's, you know, it's already, the yellow light has popped on. This, now, this is a rental car. So, you know, like my car, I can drive my car, and I'll get my car. My car's got a little gauge in it, and it tells how many miles are left. And there have been a number of times I've got my car down to, like, one mile, and I'm pulling into the pump, and it says zero, right? Come on, anybody else, like, get your car down? We all done that. But this isn't my car, and it hits that line, and when it hits that line, it just starts dropping. I mean, like that gasket just starts dropping really fast and I'm thinking oh my goodness so I click on Yelp closest gas stations 48 miles like it ain't going 48 miles and I'm I'm starting to get a little panicky because I'm thinking I'm gonna have to walk 48 miles to the next gas I, I don't have AAA what am I gonna do and I'm starting to get a little bit tense inside and I'm like I got my prayer language back really fast and I started praying, come on, I got really close to God, I was praying, like I was getting Holy Spirit fuel going into that gas tank, you know, I was like praying, oh God help us, and my friend, he's just kind of a joker, and we've known each other since Bible college, and, and so I'm like, I'm really, I'm just focused, I'm looking at that gas tank, we're not going to make it, oh Jesus, help us, help us, Jesus, and I'm driving, and so he gets really tricky, it's got the, it's got the brake in the center, you know, it's got the little pull-up brake. And so we're going down the road, and he starts, like, pulling the brake up really slow. And so, you know, immediately I think, oh, we're done. I just go, oh, we're done, man. We're walking now. And, and then he just starts howling. I look down, and he's pulling that lever up on the brake, and he's slowing the car down. And I'm like, oh, you turkey. And so anyway, it worked out. 
I don't know how this happened, but there's a town, it actually was only 12 miles, called Tonopah, Arizona. And the only thing in Tonopah, Arizona is three gas stations. Three gas stations. Come on, amen. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Tonopah, Arizona. Thank you, Jesus. And so we fill up with gas. We go on our way. And I thought about our spiritual lives. So many times in our spiritual lives, we run down to empty. And there's lots of reasons. The psalm that we just read was written by these men who were called the sons of Korah. And it was a song that was written to be sung in the Jewish temple. It was a song that was used as part of the the orthodox uh, uh, teaching and worship of the Jewish experience. The psalm was written over 3,000 years ago, and it isn't just black ink on white pages. It's actually a song. And for 3,000 years, Jewish people have been singing this song. And it's a song of desperation. It's a song of the cry of the human heart that wants the presence of God, that wants the presence of God that recognizes and realizes that it needs, that they need and we need God's reality and his presence in our life. And that's why the psalm was written. I was reading this psalm actually earlier this week. I kept thinking about God at work in our lives as a church and congregation and what God wants to do at City Church. You know, and start off the year, we begin every you know year, we have New Year's resolutions and new goals. We're going to change the way we eat. We're going to go to the gym. We're going to work out. We're going to do all these things. We're going to read our Bible more. We're going to read a book a month. We have all these different goals. And we get about three months into the year and we find that, you know, we get distracted. Life happens. We get busy. And all these goals that we've set, it just doesn't quite work out that way. And we're almost three months into the year and we've forgotten and we know we should do it and you know, we were going to go to the gym, but those things never seem to materialize. And I believe many times in our spiritual lives, we have that same kind of experience with God. We get really just distracted. We're busy. There's so many things taking place in our world. And, and all of a sudden, you know, we know we should work. You know, we know that worship is a priority. And we know that reading the Bible is a priority. And we know, you know, being in community with other believers is a priority, priority. But we just get distracted. We get distracted by the busyness and the cares of life. And it happens to all of us. And as I was reading this psalm, something struck in my heart and struck in my spirit that this really is a moment for us. I call it a kind of a mid-course correction moment. A moment for us to get a renewed sense, a re, a, literally a refueling of God's spirit and presence in our life. You know, when do we need a renewal? When do we need to be refueled? I, I write it like this. When we sense, when we lose the sense of wonder and worship of the presence of God in our midst. When we lose the sense of wonder and worship of the presence of God in our midst. You see, when we come to church on Sunday morning, this, you know, and we do this little thing we call worship, it isn't kind of just a little diddly that we do to get us prepared to receive the word. No, 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 no. When we come on Sunday morning, we are gathering together. The priority, the purpose of what we do on Sunday is this worship experience. This moment where we can encounter God in a real way. 
And, you know, we could have all kinds of activities and lots of things that are wonderful that are going on in campus. But I got to tell you, those things can be a distraction as well. The priority of our gathering together on Sunday morning is so that we can worship God, fellowship with one another, but connect with God's divine spirit, presence, and power. And as we begin to read through this psalm this morning, I want you to know this morning that God wants to refuel your spiritual tank. Some of us are empty today. Some of us have been distracted. It's easy to get distracted. Said the other service this week, watching TV for 45 minutes, went like a blink. Right before I went to bed, I was watching some show on how these guys sell multi-million dollar houses. Watch, I mean, like 45 minutes was a blank. And I said, oh, I'm going to read my Bible before I go to bed. I lay my head down on my pillow. I start, to read my, I start to read my Bible, not even three minutes. I'm like, bam, out like a light. I mean, I could watch TV for 45 minutes, but I try to read the Word of God. I'm three minutes into it, man. It's boom, boom, out go the lights. Wake me up tomorrow morning. It's amazing how that works in our life. We have natural bodies. And we can get tired. We can get wore out. We can get exhausted. We have a natural body and we have a spiritual body. And this natural body, if we don't take care of it properly, if we don't eat properly, if we don't exercise, if we don't do those things to take care of this natural body, we can find ourselves getting burned out. Happens all the time. People get completely spent. There's so much stress in our culture. There's so much stress. There's so many things going on. We're being pushed at school to get good grades. We're being pushed in the workplace to make more money. We're being pushed all these different directions. And then we just live very busy lives. I mean, this week I drove 1,000 miles. In four days, I drove 1,000. I was thinking, well, that's a long. That's, I mean, I flew there, and then I get a car, and I drive over to California. And in four days, I drive a thousand miles, and I thought, you know, a thousand miles a hundred years ago would have taken them months. I mean, to go a thousand miles? Do you know that Boston, Massachusetts used to be called the Far West? And now we call it the East Coast? I mean, a thousand miles! Bam! It's just nothing to drive four hours and to go hundreds of miles. It's just nothing in our culture. And we're running, and we're doing this, we're going to this event, and to that event. Because of the busyness of life, we can just get stressed out. We get burnout. We get wore out. So we have a natural body that can get exhausted and tired. And we need to be refueled. We need to be refreshed. That's why we go to sleep and get a good night's sleep. And that's why we're we're to take care of this body and eat foods that are good for us and and do those kinds of things. But then we also have a spiritual body. And when the spiritual man, when the spiritual part of your being gets off course, And we allow things to come into our life, we get really tired. We get tired of church. We get tired of worship. We get tired of of all kinds of things that God really has set for us so that we can encounter and know Him. We get tired. Listen, if your life is always hard, if it's always hard and it's always difficult, you know what it tells me? It tells me there's something not right in your life. When there's an absence of peace and your mind is always churning and you're always frustrated, it means there's something not right in your relationship with God. Because God brings perfect peace. The Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. 
making wise, making wise those who seek his testimonies. The law of the Lord is perfect. It converts, it changes the soul. It renews your spirit and your mind. In our, natu- in our, spiritual, in our natural body, we get wore out and tired. And that affects our spiritual body. We allow pride to come in, thinking we can do it without God. Proverbs says that pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Haughty spirit, pride comes before destruction. I sat next to airplane yesterday coming back. I sat next to a guy who's the producer for the Golf Channel. And he produces all the golf shows, and we started talking, and we were talking about Tiger Woods. And he was, I said, you know, do you think Tiger can get it back? And, and he, goes, well, he goes, yeah, I think so. He said, but he's lost his confidence. He just completely, you know, he just doesn't have that, what he had, that sense. He doesn't have that confidence because things went awry in his life. Things went completely south. Things went south in his marriage. Things went south in his public life, and it became public knowledge for everybody. And he hasn't been able to emotionally get himself back on track. What happened? He burned out, completely burned out, full of pride, thinking he could do it on his own. As a believer, we become prayerless. Prayer becomes a low priority. Go to a concert. People go to a concert. They go to a movie, and they want to get the best seats. Fight, push, you know, do all these things. Go to a sporting event. People want to be people pay thousands of dollars to go to a magic sporting event to sit down on the front row. Thousands of dollars a game. Pay thousands. And you go to church, and everybody's fighting for the back rows. (laughs) Come on true what happens in our life there's a sense that god is not the primary focus of our life jesus said you make my kingdom my, your number one priority and all these other things will be added to you we just become satisfied and comfortable where we're at just comfortable with our brokenness and then we allow sin unconfessed unconquered it's funny how we think we can hide from, hide from God. We think we can hide from people. Walk into a grocery store, somebody in the church is buying a pack of cigarettes, and they say, I'm not, man, you smoke. You, might, you ain't going to go to hell because you smoke. You might smell like hell, but you ain't going to go to hell because you smoke. I walk in the store, and they see me, and they want to hide the cigarettes. I, mean, I ain't nobody. I got my stuff. I got, you know. But why? We think we can hide. We think we can hide from people. In fact, you can't hide from anybody. You can't hide. I can't hide. God sees it all. He knows it all. We think we can hide from God. I'm 16 years old. My parents literally forced me to go to church. I'm going to church, and I hate it. I don't want to go to church. Absolutely hate it. And, man, I'm telling you, there was nothing like we have here today. There wasn't worship. We didn't have... They didn't even allow drums in my church because they were of the devil. And we didn't have drums. It's true. We didn't even have drums. I remember the first time they allowed drums in my church. They had, tell me what do they call those? They're like little, um, they're like feathers or something. They're like, what do they call them, wisp or, what, any, who, where are the drummers at? What do they call those things? Huh? Brush. They would only let them play the drums with the brush. Well, that was like the big step in the pastor. Hey, what would you think of that? Whoo, whoo. I mean, I was going to ACDC concerts and Black Sabbath and Rush. Neil, I saw Rush about four times, and, you know. And, I mean, I'm going, these guys, 
in the church, you come to church, and you're like, oh my goodness. I mean, that's the kind of church I grew up in. And, I, and so there was nothing there that was attractive, and I was 16 years of age, and I didn't want to go to church. And my pastor knew me, and he was a great pastor. He was what I call a master pastor. He was just really, really good pastor. And he pastored a lot of people outside of our church. He was pastoring famous pastor, other pastors. And, but he would stand at the back door and he would greet everybody. And he'd wait for me to come in. And boy, I tell you, I would wait as long as I could to get into the church because I didn't want to be inside. And he would wait there. And then as soon as he saw me, he'd say, Junior Smith. That was my name, Junior. Don't call me Junior. I'm Eugene. He said, Junior, come here, young man. And he, I'd come over, kind of, you know, trying to get around him, trying to sneak around, and he wouldn't let me sneak around for nothing. And he'd pull me in real close, and he'd shake my hand, and he'd look me in the eye and say, boy, how you doing? Oh, no. And I'd get in there, and I'd try to hide. I'd try to hide inside. I'd sit in the very back row. I'd sit as far back as I could get the seat, and we had these great big beans that come down, and I would try to sit behind the beans. Thinking I can hide. The problem is you can't hide from God. Because everywhere you go, there he is. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we get into this mindset. We try to hide from God. We have sin in our life. And the hand of God is upon us. And he loves us. He loves us. As I begin to think about this song, I want to give you three things here. Three things I'm going to give you a recipe for spiritual renewal in your life this morning. Three things that this text helps us to understand that we can be restored, renewed, and refueled spiritually in our relationship with God. The first thing that I want you to see is I want you to recognize the power of true worship in our darkest hour. The power of true worship in our darkest hour. For the director of music of the sons of Korah, a song. A song. We don't know who the sons of Korah are. But we ought to thank God for these three men. These men, whoever these men were that wrote this, we ought to thank God. Because 3,000 years ago, they wrote a song that came from their heart. Came right out of their spirit. Came right out of their heart. And 3,000 years later, this song is still the heart cry of worship. It's still a heart cry of people who want God. It's a heart cry. <clears throat> I, floated, I fly out of here last Sunday. I fly out of here last Sunday morning. And I get to the airport. And I'm standing in the airport. And I, you, know, you wait at your little area waiting for them to open the door. Get on the plane. I'm standing there. And I look up. And there's this Hasidic Jewish man. And he's got the big beard, he's got the black hat on top of his head, he's got the, you know, the things that they wear, like the, I don't even know what they're called, the little shawl thing that they have, and it's got the law, and, and he's got the little box, and he's just, a, he's a, and he's a rabbi, he's a rabbinical rabbi, he, pa- he, he doesn't pastor, he's a, he's a rabbi at a synagogue that he started up in the Ormond Beach area. And, and I just, I see him, and I'm thinking, this first thought I thought, I'll bet you, I'm, this guy is going to sit right next to me on the plane. Now, there's like, how many, how many, how many seats are on a plane? Anybody? 200, 280, I don't know. So, I mean, what are the chances? What are the chances of rabbi 
sitting next to me. What do you think? One in 200, right? One in 300. I come in. I sit down. I'm in 6D. That's my seat. I'm in 6D playing with my iPad. And uh, I look up. And here comes Rabbi. And guess what seat he sat in? 6C. 6C. And for the next four and a half hours, we had the best time. I mean, he was jabbing me. I was jabbing. We just like, we were like BFFs. We just hit it right off, man. And he was a really fun guy. He was a really interesting guy. He, he was obviously, he was Jewish. He spoke Hebrew as his first language, but he spoke English very well. And we started talking about the Bible and the stories of the Bible. And it was just, it was a really wonderful time. And then I started just pushing him a little bit. And I said, man, do you really like try to keep all those laws? I said, I said, like, I, I said 643. For some reason, I keep thinking 643. It's actually 613. There are 613 laws. It ain't just the Big Ten. There were 613. And I said, come on, man. You don't keep all 613 laws. And he looks at me, and he gets his great big smile. And he goes, I try. And I'm like, oh, come on. I said, I tell you what, man. I like my way better than your way, man. My way is all about grace, amen? Yeah, we had a wonderful time. We talked. But in the Hebrew culture, if you went to a Jewish synagogue today, the liturgy would be, would be the same that it was 1,000 years ago, 1,200 years ago. They have the same prayer books. They read the same psalms. They have, it's all based on the calendar. It's very liturgical the way they do it. So when they get to this part, though, when they get to the psalm and they read a psalm, which literally means a song, these aren't just, this isn't just black ink written on white pages. This is actually a song that even today they would sing in the synagogue. So there's something powerful about music. Music impacts generations. Hear me today. And I believe what God is doing at City Church in this hour, in this day, God is doing something in our worship. He's restoring us. He's renewing us. He's lighting a passion in us. And I believe the worship that God is going to raise up from this house isn't just going to affect this city. But I believe with all my heart that God is drawing musicians and singers and worshipers and the worship of God and the name of Jesus will become famous in this city because God's people will sing His praise. Someone said amen this morning. I believe that with all my heart. The power of worship in your darkest hour. The power of worship in your dark moments. This psalm was... This song was written when the Jewish people were in captivity. They were in captivity. And what they're doing is they're singing this song, remembering the goodness of God. There's something powerful about worship. There's something powerful about opening your mouth and singing of the goodness of God. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is in Acts chapter 16, and there's two guys. Their names are Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas... You know, they're out in the courtyard and they're preaching the gospel and the people around there don't want to hear it. They beat them up, they stone them, and they throw them into jail. That's a dark hour. I mean, you know, in this room, we're probably not going to go to jail. I mean, it's probably not going to happen. It could happen to somebody here. You never know. I've been tossed into jail before. It's another story, but I've gone to jail before. But probably not. Most people probably, that's not going to happen in your life. But they were tossed into jail. It was a dark moment. 
and jails and prisons in this part of the world. It ain't like today. They didn't have remote control. They didn't have television. They didn't have workout rooms, nothing like that. These were dirty, nasty, skanky, the worst, worst possible place that a human being would, pop, would ever want to be. And that's where they were at. And the Bible says that around midnight, in the darkest hour, they begin to sing psalms. Chapter 85, God, revive us. God, restore us. God, renew us. What do they do? They begin to sing psalms and hymns, and they begin to praise God. And the Bible says that the people that were in the jail begin to listen. They begin to hear. And as they begin to worship God, the Bible says that the prison gates open. Let me tell you today, when you begin to worship, when you begin to enter into that place in the dark hour of your soul, when you're discouraged, you're frustrated, your mind is charged, you're racing, you're trying to work it all out by your own strength and ability, and all of a sudden you get a God moment. You get a God thought, and you stop. You do a sailor. You do a sailor. You get a pause, and you begin to worship God. There's something that happens in your spirit. Something happens in your spirit. The Bible says it's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto His name. When you sing praises to God, it releases that presence, that spirit. It drives out the darkness of your soul. And people around you will notice. People around you will see that now God's joy, God's peace, God's spirit is in you. And that discouragement is broken off. That frustration is broken off. That pain is broken off. And in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy, the Bible says, and life evermore. See, God this morning is worthy of your praise. These guys, they worship God. They worship God. Every move of God in every generation, every move of God in every generation has always had a fresh touch of worship, a fresh touch of the presence of God. When our worship experience becomes dry, when our worship experience on Sunday, when we gather together corporately, has no significance, no significance or meaning, and can we, leak, we can leave here the same that we, that we came, we know that there's something missing in our life. Something not right. Holy Spirit is drawing us to this place as a church and as a people of God. The Lord is my strength and my song. And as they begin to sing... They begin to sing this psalm. They begin to f- reflect on the grace and the goodness of God. Look at verse number one. You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. I love that word favor. You showed favor to your land. You know, in the Old Testament, land was so significant. In the Old Testament, land was so significant. Because God spoke to Abraham and said, you will possess a land. God told Abraham, you will be a people, you will be blessed into the nations, and you will inherit, you will possess a great land. Isaac believed that. Jacob, his son, believed that. Moses, 400 years later, believed that God had called the children of Israel to a land. 400 years later, Joshua, Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. 
out of darkness, out of bondage. And you know the first thing that happens when they leave Egypt? The very first thing that happens in Exodus 15, the Bible says that they begin to sing a new song. And the song went like this. The horse and the rider, I will sing a new song unto the Lord. And the horse and the rider will be thrown into the sea. I will sing unto the Lord a new song, for he has triumphed valiantly. I will sing unto the Lord. And the Bible says that the people begin to sing a song of victory and of praise and of worship. You see, the land was significant. Joshua went in and Joshua took the land, conquered cities. But there was a king that came after Joshua. His name was David. And he conquered the land. And he was victorious but David understood that it had to be more than just a place, a natural land. That there was a place that God wanted to live in our hearts. And the land that God was actually speaking about is your heart, is your spirit. You are the land. You see, the Bible declares that no longer does God dwell in a place built by the hands of man. But now God dwells in your spirit, in your heart. God wants to possess your land with His spirit and with His power and with His grace. Someone said amen this morning. There was favor on the land. Favor to the land. Let them shout for joy and be glad. Then those are they say, you restored the fortunes. Of Jacob. Remember the goodness of God. You know what happens? Happens to all of us. We come to Christ. We come to Christ. Come to faith. And there's an excitement, man. When God changes you, if you've given your life to Christ, something, you know it. There's something in your heart. There's something happens inside you. There's an excitement. There's a love. There, you want to tell other people about it. You want to tell other people about God. Worship is just sweet. I mean, people come in, they get saved, and I'll watch them. They're taking notes, and they're really paying attention, and months go by, years go by. Just kind of lose that sense of the oddness and the presence of God, that sense of wonder of the goodness of God. And when you think about this meeting, what we're going to do after that, and all these things are taking place, God has said, I want to restore the fortunes of Jacob. So the enemy of your soul wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's his goal. That's his plan for your life. He wants to get you tripped up. He wants you to self-medicate, try to cover up the pain, the hurt, all the things of life, get you so distracted and so busy. The priority of worshiping God isn't your number one priority. It happens to all of us. It happens to every person in this room. And the psalmist declares, God, will you restore the fortunes of Jacob? Will you restore the fortunes? Of Jacob. God covers. Oh, he forgave us of our sins. I love this whole thought here. He covers us, forgives us of our iniquities, and he, he covers us of our sins. This concept of covering in the Old Testament, they had temple worship and they had an altar that was built. And they would take the blood of an animal. The high priest, once a year, would go in and would pour the blood on top of that altar to make atonement for the sins of the people. One time a year they could do it. Not with you and I today. We can come into the presence of God and have the blood of Jesus cleanse us every day. The blood of Jesus is available to cover, to forgive us, to cleanse us as far as the east is from the west. He'll remember our sins no more. When God covers you, God doesn't just forget your sin. God heals you from your sin. 
God heals you from your hurts. God heals you from your habits. God heals you from your hang-ups. That's what God does. It's the healing power of God that covers you. It's His grace. It's sufficient this morning. Cover them of their sins. Psalms 126. The message, says, message Bible says it like this. It seemed like a dream. Too good to be true. When God returned Zion's exiles. We laughed. We sang. We couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of the nations. God was wonderful to them. God was wonderful to us. We are one happy people. God, do it again. We're mid-course here, about a third of the way into the year. And there's a challenge for us today. The challenge for us today. God, do it again. They cry out. The psalm is singing, restore us, O God, our Savior. Put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Will you not revive us again? Will you not revive us again? That's my question to you today. That's my challenge to you today. Will you allow God, will you make that the prayer of your heart? To allow God to revive you again? To restore that sense of love and passion for Jesus? Restore that love and that passion for Jesus? True story. About 100 years ago, there was a young man who was 26 years of age. He got saved at the age of 15. He lived in a place called Wells, a place where former Princess Diana was from. She was from Wells. He lived in Wells, and, and at the age of 15, he began to pray for his city. His name was Evan Roberts, and at the age of 15, he began to ask God to save his city. It's a true story. You can Google it. You can read the story. He actually, he would pray this prayer. We use the word change, but... He would pray this prayer, God, mend me. God, change me. Make me into the person that you want me to be. At the age of 26, at the end of a service on Sunday morning, he asked the pastor if he could meet with some of the young people in the church, and they were going to start to pray. At the end of that time, there were 16 people. They started at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And they began to pray, began to share his heart, the vision that God gave him for that city. The renewal that God wanted to do. The refueling that God wanted to do in their church and in their hearts. And in the people, that community. And, it's, and as the story goes, they prayed. Not for an hour, two hours, but something broke. Two o'clock in the morning, they finished praying. The next day, they gathered again and there were 60 people. And they started praying. And they continued to pray. You can't do this on your own. This isn't something they made up. This isn't something manufactured. This was a cry. Will you restore us again, O oh God? That was the prayer. Will you revive us? Will you renew us? Will you make your presence so real in our worship experiences that we know that God is here in this place and nothing is impossible with Him? They begin to pray. They begin to pray on the next day, Tuesday, and on Wednesday. Within a month, over 2,000. 
2,000 people were praying every single day. And within one year and a half, one year and a half, 100,000 people in that city, I mean, not just a little bit saved, I mean, totally saved, totally transformed. And the presence of power of God was so real. People would come in off the streets into the services, and people would just fall down. They would weep. They begin to cry out to God. Change is God. Change is God. It changed the worship of that generation. It changed the worship. They begin to sing a new song to God. We sing those hymns today, and they're still and old to us. But in that day, there was a new song that came forth. It came out of the heart cry, Will you restore us again, O God? Will you renew us? Will you revive us? God, pour out your Spirit. And I believe today that in this room, the Holy Spirit of God is here to restore, to light a passion. Some of us have drifted. I know it's so easy, so easy to drift. Our vessels, our spirits are like this gas can, which is no good right now because there's no fuel in it. And if you're not full today of God's Spirit, we're really... It's no good for God. It's no good for God and it's no good for us. God said, I'll restore. God told the prophet, I'll restore you. I'll give you double. I'll give you double. God wants to restore you today. God wants to refuel you today. He wants to refire you. But you got to ask. You see, they asked. And they wrote it down into a song. And it became the priority of their life. Will you restore us? So that others may rejoice. See, it's never just about us. It isn't just about us having a holy moment. It isn't just about us having to worship us and alone with God. It's God restoring us so that others can be restored. That's what God wants to do right now in this room, in this third service. God wants to restore you. God wants to renew you. God wants to relight your passion. We're going into the first week of March. We're making a little mid-course correction. We're asking God to do something in our hearts, in our midst, that only He can do. So when we come into this place on a, weekly bez- on a weekly basis, the presence of God is so real to us. When we gather together on a weekly basis, we're just, there's an anticipation. That's what I'm believing. There's an anticipation for the presence and the power of God to fill this place. And if that's you right now, you want that. You want that to be your prayer. Restore us again, O oh God so that others may rejoice in you. If that's you, will you just join me right now and stand across this room? Thanks for listening to this message, Running on Empty with Lead Pastor Eugene Smith. For service times and more information about City Church Orlando, please visit our website anytime at orlandocitychurch.com or call 407-321-9600.